0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: With shoppers buying everything online these days, getting those holiday gifts for family and friends is going to be harder than ever. But no need to worry because our friends at Seattle Shirt Company have got us covered. Jay and the team have an unbelievable selection of NFL and NBA jerseys for everyone on your list. These jerseys are 100% authentic, from current superstars like LeBron James to the all-time legends like Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Walter Payton. Seattle Shirt Company has it all. And right now, for our listeners, we have a special one-time only pre-Black Friday Cyber Monday deal. Everything you buy at seattleshirt.com is 30% off. So head to seattleshirt.com and enter the code Believe B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for 30% off your entire order. Shipping is always free. Seattle Shirt Company, helping you get ready for the holidays a little bit early. the iso with dan dickow and sb live sports brought to you by the believe podcast network the number one podcast network for professionals welcome to today's episode of the iso with your host that's me dan dickow and sb live sports on the believe podcast network conversations with experts in the world of sports today's somebody who has having a tremendous amount of success at his current college head coaching position. Interested to see when he may head to a bigger job, but I don't think that's necessarily his passion at this moment because he's doing a tremendous job where he is at currently. That's head coach of the Montana Grizzlies, Travis DeCure. Travis, how goes life in Missoula as it looks like we're finally getting to the point where practices are becoming normal at the college level and you're starting to prepare for games with this upcoming season?
0: No, things are going well uh, in, in regards to that, right? Um, we want to be one of the few teams that has an opportunity to be on the floor when, when the time presents itself. And uh, I think we were a little ahead of the game in terms of getting our guys back for the summer. So uh, we're enjoying being together uh, as much as possible. And, and I think our guys are off to a good start academically. So we're in a good place, just trying to stay healthy.
1: Well, staying healthy is is always of the utmost importance at the college level. And this year might be a little bit more of a challenge because of the COVID pandemic and having to really make sure that you stay on top of everything. The Big Sky Conference just released their schedule a day or two ago, and it was really interesting how the scheduling for that league came about. 20 league games, if I'm not mistaken, this year. But they're taking out a lot of the travel by having back-to-backs with the same team at the same location. I thought that was a unique approach, and I think that might be something that might be beneficial in allowing the big sky to get all 20 league games in with no hiccups this year. What are your thoughts?
0: No question, I, you know, and, and I wouldn't be shocked to see a couple of other conferences go that route. I, we've heard on the east, south, and the west uh, where that's on the table. Um, we looked at quite a few different things. You know, pods uh, were, were an option that might create gaps Uh, to make up games that that get postponed. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for our conference was the testing on the road, um, the potential positives on the road and and how you handle those. So minimizing how many different locations you have to go to over one weekend was really the biggest uh, impact in terms of the decision. So, and obviously you want to cut some costs as much as possible and minimize flights. So I think this was the best case scenario. Um, with the parameters that were surrounded um, that were used to surround the, the decisions uh, and you know our guys would be safe i think in in this situation more so than some others
1: I think montana is is a program that nationally people don't necessarily recognize and understand just how good they've been over the last 15 20 years uh, there's been some tremendous coaches actually over the last 30 years going all the way back to Jud Heathcote but you played at Montana, so it, I can only imagine it makes things a little bit more special for you to be the head coach at Montana. When you were playing at Montana, did you want to get into coaching or what was your your, your thought process for what you wanted to do when you were done playing there?
0: It hadn't crossed my mind. Uh, my father was my was my coach growing up. Um, and then during high school, he coached my, my summer AAU teams. And, and so I experienced – his relationship with a lot of my friends and in the summers when I'd go home he'd have me coach one or two of his events one of his tournaments with his team from time to time but I, I never really felt the bug until I graduated in 94 uh, Blaine Taylor presented it to me who, who was my head coach at the time that didn't work out went back home and thought you know I'd get into some sort of business or whatnot. And uh needed some money, and Ed Peppel calls me and has me work his camp uh, in the summer, which paid well, and one thing led to another. So, you know, it was hard to say no to him uh, when he had a position open for the freshman team and thought it'd be a one-year deal and never looked back since.
1: Well, Ed Peppel is, uh, is a well-respected and known name in, in Washington high school basketball circles. Uh, unfortunately, he passed a month or so ago, and the, the impact that he had on people, both players and coaches in the state, was, was tremendous. You played for him in high school. What was that experience like, playing for him, but then also coaching for
0: him? Incredible. Um, you know, when you're playing for someone like him, you don't, you don't really reap the benefits. Until later, when you look back on life and you're more mature. So the discipline, the preparation for every moment that could present itself were things that weren't necessarily important to a 14, 15, 16 year old. But when I returned at 23, 24 as a coach, I found myself preaching those same things that were being preached to me. And and I think my time with him led to the success I was able to be a part of as a player at the University of Montana, uh, and then springboarded my coaching career uh, moving forward.
1: Our pass ca- crossed in 1997 at the, the state tournament. Well, one of my most deflating, disappointing uh, results for a basketball game was, was when my Prairie Falcons lost to, to your Mercer Island uh, Islanders. Do you have memories of that game? And I'm sure you do, because every time we seem to cross paths at the Big Sky Tournament or wherever, you're always giving me a jab or two on that. What do you remember most from that state tournament?
0: No question about it. And, and that jab is completely out of respect. I, I, I remember going into that game, and our goal was to contain you, and we knew you were surrounded with shooters. And so if we could keep you out of the paint, those shooters would struggle. And you guys ran a lot of four flat, which which made it very difficult, which, you know, it, 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 first thing comes to mind when you, you name your podcast here, ISO, I'm thinking you ISO at the top of the key, but uh, you guys shot 70 to 75% in the first half of that game, I recall, we were down big, and we had an emotional halftime meeting, we come out, we struggle a little bit in the third quarter, and this is, this is the last day championship in the kingdom, um,
1: 12,000 people, if I don't, if I remember correctly. Correct. High
0: school. Correct. Correct. And Brian Brown caught fire. And I remember the first three he made of the four that he made in the fourth quarter, he was falling into our bench. And and Coach P's yelling no, because it's, 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 it's contested, it's a fadeaway, uh, and it goes in nothing but bottom. And it kind of ignited our defense. And we were fortunate to get some stops and he kind of took over and, and won the game for us, really. And 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 I believe you guys ended still shooting close to 60% from the floor. And we were still looking at the stat sheet, trying to figure out how we won that game.
1: Uh, to this day, I still am too, Coach, because it's not like we stopped scoring. We were scoring twos, but you guys were scoring threes. Right. I guess that was just a foreshadowing of, of how the game of basketball was going to be played, you know, 10, 15 years later. Right. Matt Logie – is a is, has become a friend of mine. He's a head coach at Point Loma, a Division II school down in San Diego that has a, a tremendous upside, uh, and he's going to do great things there. I told him you were going to be a guest on my podcast, and so I asked him any questions you wanted. He wanted me to
0: ask, "Who's the best shooter in Mercer Island history?" Matt Logie. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's Pepple's grandson, so. You know, I show up in 85 as a freshman. He's our ball boy. So he lived in the gym. He's shooting more shots than anyone on the team every day. And I remember, you know, preparing for games, and he'd be out there rebounding for us, and he'd sneak in a couple shots. I returned as an assistant coach, and we won state. I believe it was his sophomore year. Uh, we won the championship, and we played O'Day in the semis. And Logie might have made twelve to fifteen consecutive free throws to win that game. Um, and I believe to this day he's still Lehigh's all time leading three point shooter and percentage wise as well. so he's got a lot of stats to say to to you know behind that rep, but I'm sure he just wanted to hear someone say it.
1: <laughs> I think you're right and and you knowing him probably even better than I do, uh, I'm sure that's bringing a smile to his face. So you get the coaching bug and the passion for it by spending time around Ed Peppel and that Mercer Island program. You, you then move on to the junior college ranks before your coach from Montana, Blaine Taylor, gets you to go back to, the, to Old Dominion on the East Coast. At any point in a coach's career when you're an assistant, you've got to start thinking, man, I love this. I love the game prep. I love the the, the scouting report prep, the practices. At what point did you really think that, I want to be a head coach at the Division I level. And then at what point did you think you were going to get a true
0: opportunity? You know, my, my transition was a lot different than most people. I, I think a lot of guys would go to Old Dominion just to be at the Division I level. I, I was enjoying my time at, at Green River. I had really good teams. We won a lot of games. I was a head coach. It was the first time in my coaching career I could choose my roster and there were some things in, 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 in the works to kind of make the situation better. And so the, the, that opportunity actually came about the year before, and I didn't take it. I had Trey Simmons and, and a few other guys that were really good at Green River and thought, I can't really walk away from this team. And then when it presented itself the second time, it was hard to say no. But in my mind, this is a transition to becoming a Division I head basketball coach. And that was kind of what the coaching tree had done. So I knew the guys before him had helped him, you know, situate himself to become a head coach. And I knew he would do the same for me. That was in the conversation. So it was only three years after I had been there that the Eastern Washington job had had, had presented itself. And so that process and that dialogue of getting involved with games, preparing yourself for, or getting involved with jobs, preparing yourself for interviews, Started really after my second season as an assistant. And, and obviously, it takes a long time for the right opportunity to present itself. Um, but but it was pretty early for me.
1: After Old Dominion, you go to Cal. And you so now you go from, to be honest, kind of a mid-major level program back to the West Coast, where probably more of your network is in your comfort level, I would imagine, lies in a big conference. At, you're at Cal. What was that like, and then how did that prepare you for when that first opportunity at your alma mater, Montana,
0: came about? You know, I think they all kind of played a role in that preparation, right? And, and so at Old Dominion, Blaine was growing the program to operate like a high major. His time at Stanford, when he got to Old Dominion, he kind of visualized, we're going to operate the way we did as a Pac-12 school. And by the time I got to my fifth year there, his seventh, we were doing that. We were playing home and homes against, um, you know, top 10 programs in the country. Uh, We were buying home games. We were traveling like high majors. We were operating that way, which led to the success that, that we had in that conference. When I got to Cal, Montgomery was doing the same thing with Cal he, he, he he created a situation where we would operate like a blue blood because that's what he had turned Stanford into. And so for me, coming back here as a head coach, I felt the one thing I know that these guys taught me was look big picture. Don't settle on where you're at, make it more than what it is when you get there. And, so I was able to, you know, take some things from each of those places and bring it to Montana and grow the program in some ways that you might not necessarily notice in games or in practices on the court because it's the, it's the complete program. But Blaine and, and Mike Montgomery are specialists at uh, developing a program, developing the person, um, and, and being prepared for all situations. And I, I just think working with those two guys – after working for Ed Peppel for three years uh, was really the perfect storm for me in terms of just preparation over the years and the guys, the mentors I had.
1: It's got to be special to be the head coach at your alma mater. And I can only imagine if and when an opportunity comes, you're going to be pretty selective uh, to move up the so-called ranks uh, to another opportunity. But when you look at the the Montana basketball coaching tree and it's pretty darn impressive. You look at the Judd Heathcote who was there before, obviously he had tremendous success at Michigan state, but Mike Montgomery, Blaine Taylor, who you had mentioned, but then you, you've got Stu Morrill, who was at Utah state for a number of years. That doesn't get the amount of credit that I'd probably think he should. Larry Kristoviak, Wayne Tinkle, all really good coaches. How much pride do you have that you were selected to keep that pride and tradition going?
0: A ton. Um, you know, and, and I, I had an assistant coach I worked with at Old Dominion. He, he'd always tell me, Don't worry about all these other jobs. Your first job's going to be in Montana. And, you know, you're in denial a little bit. Nah, there's, you know, there's all these things. And, you know, at, at the time, Wayne was here and was having success. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's going to be Montana. And, you know, I always tell the stories in recruiting or in, in normal conversation about the group I followed because I got a phone call the day after I was accepted the job from Mike Montgomery saying, don't screw it up, (laughs) right? And the reality is it's almost impossible to not look at it as you screwed it up because of the shoes you have to fill. You know, Judd Heathcote, Mike Montgomery, Hall of Fame, right? Um, Judd Heathcote has a national championship. Mike Montgomery's been to Final Force. Stu Morrow has the highest win percentage if you look at all the places all these guys have been, of all of them. And, and you know, he had a 25-win team that went undefeated in non-conference in the WAC one year and didn't get an at-large bid. Um, Blaine Taylor's got the highest win percentage at both Montana and Old Dominion, and at some point in time became the all-time winningest as coach at each spot, which he still is that at Old Dominion. You look at Larry Kostoviat, he and Judd are the only two to win a tournament game from Montana. Um, And then Wayne comes in and he breaks everyone's records. He's got the most wins. Um, You know, he he had been to the NCAA tournament more than everyone else. And so I get here and I I don't know what I can do that hadn't been done. Um, And so that's when I kind of looked at some of the things off the court and and, and, and tried to do some things a little differently. But I, I think what's been special about it is this is a place where winning is a tradition. You can do it your way as long as you don't lose sight of what this is. And you kind of have to be a grizz to under, understand what I'm saying. So it's a special opportunity and, and, and I'm fortunate to be here. And that's why it was so hard for me to say no when it was offered and it's been hard to leave.
1: Well, I can sense and hear in your voice the tremendous amount of respect that you have for the coaches that came before and the love for, that you have for, for Montana and the basketball program. And in doing that, obviously, you're then going to put forth 100% effort. I've seen you coach. You coach with a passion, a dedication to your players. But you have to find players that fit your vision for the program. And, and not too many people realize how difficult that is in the big sky. And the reason being, in my opinion, is So many people grow up on the West Coast thinking Pac-12, Pac-12, Pac-12. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to kind of sift through players' kind of thought process and figure out who's going to fit your vision, but understand that maybe they're going to have a much better individual career at a Montana where they're a big part of chances at winning uh, conference titles, getting to the NCAA tournament and being a bigger piece of that as opposed to maybe just trying to get a few minutes here or there. What's your message in recruiting when you see that as being the case probably quite a bit?
0: Do You want your cake and eat it too. You you know, and and, and that's a a true reality. So many coaches make promises they can't keep. Playing time, um, shots taken, points scored, style of play, things that really don't matter that much early. As, as much as these kids want to hear it and they want to get on the floor early. And and I think for those guys that are those tweeners that potentially could play in the Pac-12 um, for the middle of the Pac-down, potentially play in the Mountain West, but maybe not necessarily for those teams that are competing for championships and they might need to wait a year or two to, to actually get into rotation. You come here you got a better shot at getting into rotation in a winning situation um, you know we've, we've got I think I believe it's six championships in 10 years as a program uh, between Wayne and myself and when kids first thing they tell you they want to play an NC2A tournament okay well let's look at the list of schools from the West Coast that play an NC2A tournament right and you've got the short list of teams that go pretty much every year okay but there you have offers from them no okay let's take them out now let's look at your list. And of the teams that you're being recruited by, who goes to the tournament the most? And let's look over a period of time. Are we telling you if you come, we'll win a championship and we'll go to the NCAA tournament? Or are we asking you to come be a part of it? And normally when they say we're asking them to come be a part of it, they don't have a long list of those types of schools on their list that also have an opportunity to compete playing time right away. So I, I think it's a perfect combination for a lot of those kids that have a chip on their shoulder because – the blue, the blue Bloods on the West Coast didn't offer them a scholarship. And nothing, nothing more fun than coaching an angry young man.
1: And I've seen your team play on the defensive end. Angry is a great way to describe it. But with a controlled anger right. tied in with, with the, the philosophy or the game plan that you guys have set forth. Right. I also want to pose the question, and I've done this to a number of other coaches I've talked to uh, for this podcast, Season ended last year very unexpectedly. I was actually set to travel to Boise to cover the Big Sky uh, title game for Westwood One Radio. You guys, along with Eastern Washington, were probably the two favorites to play in the title game and have a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. With the unexpected end of the season and not knowing when you were going to be back with your team, how did you improve as a coach between that time and now that you can get back on the floor with your players?
0: Um, you know, you improve a lot of ways, right? You, you educate yourself, books, videos, conversations with other coaches, um, but nothing better than experience, actually doing things. And, and I, I think I improve the most off the court, um, handling adversity off the court, managing change in a short period of time. You know, like I say, I learned from the guys before me about being prepared for every moment that could present itself within a game and within your program. But we got hit with some things we couldn't prepare for. And so to dig yourself out of those types of holes um, was a learning experience for me. Um, and, and, and so I, w- I got a chance to maybe strengthen myself in that regard. Um, and then X and O-wise, basketball-wise, a lot of conversations um, with a lot of coaches, a lot of Zooms. You know, just talking program, recruiting, development. And I watch a ton of YouTubes. I just love watching coaches um, discuss how and why they do things. And every summer I might pick one or two areas that we can get better at or I can get better at. Um, And so I just had more opportunities to do those things.
1: Every athlete or coach typically has one person that they can really kind of point to and say – he's my mentor, she's my mentor, we had a conversation or, you know, they were a part of an experience that really helped shape or mold me. Is there one coach that stands out to you? And what would that message have been that kind of propel you on the path to become uh, the coach that you are today?
0: I have four. Just in terms of how, my, how this thing took place for me, you know, Ed Pepple. Blaine Taylor, Mike Montgomery, but my father has always been the backbone to this deal, and and I've always picked up a phone, hey. But basketball-wise, program development, my preparation, my growth as a coach, Blaine Taylor, um, he's the guy that I don't make very many tough decisions without having a conversation with him or a long text. Um, and I might not always go the same direction he would, but I always – I enjoy presenting it to him, and I, I think one of the best things with my for my relationship with him is he doesn't necessarily see everything the same way I see it, but he understands how I see it. And so he has, he has a very good feel for his perspective and mine when we have that conversation.
1: Give me a quick preview uh, of what people can expect from Montana – this upcoming season in the big sky grant it's a shortened season uh teams can only get up to 27 games uh there's a number of interesting multi-team events teams are leagues are finally pulling out their schedules uh, what do you expect and hope to see from from your team this year
0: uh strong precise execution on offense has always been our strength uh, we would expect that to be the same um a little bigger than we've been in the past. So we should be better in the paint than, than we have been in terms of depth. Um, and then high energy on defense. That's always been our thing on the defensive end is just high energy in all situations. And if, if we can stick to that brand on both sides of the ball, we should have a really good basketball team that continues to compete for championships. But our conference is really good. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of underrated coaches in, in the big sky, preparation from one game to the next takes a lot of time because our styles are so different and we've got a lot of guys are pretty good at making last minute adjustments um and and so it's very competitive and uh, our ability to prepare for for each situation early in october and november before we get to january is always important so if we can stay healthy these next couple months i think we'll have a shot at being pretty good
1: Well, I will say this. I think the Big Sky has gotten better over the last few years since I've had a chance to uh, be at the Big Sky title game and watch the conference tournament uh, for my work with Westwood One Radio uh, in the postseason. I hope that I get that assignment this year and I get a chance to, to watch Montana and hopefully in that championship game and I can be quietly as a broadcaster pulling for you because of our similar Northwest roots but coach I really appreciate your time on on the podcast today for SB Live Sports we thank you and we appreciate you thanks for having me The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals